PointClickFish.com. Your connection to the saltwater fishing community brings you Saltwater Fishing Radio. Are you a professional tournament angler, fishing captain, or novice angler looking to learn from the pros? Listen to live discussions from some of the best in the industry, the biggest TV fishing stars, interviews with captains, sponsors, and fishing teams. Your trusted source for the latest tournament updates, industry news, and interviews. It's time to talk fishing with your host, Captain Jay. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the PointClickFish.com Saltwater Fishing Radio Show. We've got a great show this evening, and Wayne, I tell you, getting you back here. We lost you right before the the show started, but Wayne, welcome to the show this evening. Yeah, sorry about that. had a technical difficulty, I guess, here in the studio, but uh, happy to be here, Jay. Thanks for uh, inviting me back in, and uh, looking forward to, uh, you know, always looking forward to getting together with you on Thursday night and talking about uh, kind of what's been happening both, uh, you know, the Point Click Fish community and uh, out on the water. Well, I tell you, I was uh, up north uh, working on a couple of projects up there. We had John down at the Miami Boat Show uh, to get us some live coverage there from the Miami Boat Show. And we've been busy here back on the Crystal Coast of North Carolina getting things ready for the new season. Yeah, yeah, there's a, a lot that goes into it. And this time of year, there's a lot of pre-planning and kind of getting gear and all the infrastructure ready. And I, I think I saw a couple of posts online where you've got some updates on the uh, the ultimate fishing truck. Is that right? Man, I tell you, I am headed tomorrow. Uh, the the Down East Off-Road crew is wrapping up their piece of the truck, and I'm very excited. We, they sent some sneak peek pictures today, but, man, let me tell you something. It is amazing. I mean, all the product and the companies that we are working with on this project is absolutely amazing. Yeah, it'll make for a great, a great centerpiece. Sorry, a great centerpiece come uh, tournament season when you're on the trail doing live tournament coverage, and uh, you know you've got to have a quality truck to be able to tow the trailers around, and then to be able to set up. And uh, I know you've got it scheduled to get it wrapped by Crystal Coast Graphics here real soon. You'll have it looking sharp and ready for uh, for late spring and, and early summer. Well, I tell you, I'm just thankful that all these partners got on board because uh, they are way smarter than I am in this area, and they definitely have thought outside the box and came up with some amazing concepts uh, to be able to not, you know, one of the pra- one of the pieces of the build was it, it has to be practical. So everything we put on the truck, we need, we, we you know, we need to use when we're on the tour. So. That's something that's very exciting because it's not only going to look good, but it's going to function and also allow us to do a little more fishing, too. Yeah, yeah, that's always an, an important aspect of Point Click Fish. Obviously, we've uh, got a bit of a fishing addiction. We do, we do. And, uh, the, you know, the trailer and the truck will help us uh, make that easier when we go to these events and be able to get on the water more. And that's something that we're looking forward to. But, man, if, if you ever wanted to upgrade your truck you're going to want to check this thing out and um, you know we i think our first up we're going to be, have an event in garner north carolina at the cabela's uh shop there so we're going to announce that on social media but we're looking forward so if you're in the garner area area here in two weeks uh, we'll be up there 
and then be able to get a first look at this truck. Yeah, and of course, along with the truck, if you're planning on getting out on the water, another huge aspect for that is uh, you know, really planning and getting together with some of the dealerships for a new boat. And I know that there's been a lot of focus in the industry here over the past week on things that were going on down in Miami at the Miami Boat Show, and we had a correspondent down in Miami that was able to send us some photos. I tell you, you know, having John down there in Miami, um, you know, as we grow, as you know, to, to be able to grow and kind of help get all the all of the guys on board like yourself, Wayne, to be able to grow what we do. And having John down there was critical to be able to uh, do some coverage for us, post some pictures, and, and come back with some great content from the Miami Boat Show. Yeah, as well as being able to represent Point Click Fish. I know you had been down there a number of times yourself, Jay, and you hated to miss it this year, but with uh, – you know, a lot of lot going on here in North Carolina. Having his availability to take off Virginia and head down that direction certainly kept us as a presence down there. And you know, we had a lot of a lot of good fishing friends that were down in the area as well. We did. You know, the the Liquid Fire Fishing Team they actually were on the water again uh, with their Intrepid, uh, being able to give tours. So they're actually still selling the boat. Uh, so if anyone's interested in Intrepid, definitely look up the Liquid Fire Fishing Team because I know they're building a new one um so that boat definitely rigged out ready to fish so if you're in the market for an intrepid take a look at it but the boat shows always exciting because it kind of sets the tone <clears throat> excuse me for the marine industry every year and uh the feedback has been fantastic from you know the boat sales uh, at the boat show and kind of uh, just kind of setting the tone for the marine industry as a whole yeah yeah and when you mentioned the liquid fire fishing team it's a Great reminder that they will be with us. I've been talking with them a little bit off and on over the past couple of weeks myself as we're getting geared up and ready for um, the North Carolina Aquarium's Get Hooked Fishing School. That's been a big part of what I've been up to over the past couple of weeks, really the past month, is getting everything lined up for that. And I, I know we're planning on doing a follow-up show focused on you know, Get Hooked Fishing School over at the North Carolina Aquarium. But it's uh, another event that's just around the corner on the horizon, and of course, Captain Mark Henderson will be there this year again, talking about King Michael and running the rigging room with his family and the liquid fire fish, fishing team. And uh, we're also really excited that Captain John Mauser will be there, as well as a number of other you know, really good captains that are uh, you know located here on the Crystal Coast. Uh, we've got a number of people that we call friends though that are uh, you know supportive of that program. And Captain Mauser has been doing a lot of inshore guiding, specifically targeting red drum, but a lot of other different species on the. Carolina coast, and I know he's planning on joining us tonight to talk a little bit about late winter fishing and uh, early spring and even into summer, what the fishing forecast will look like out of Swansboro, North Carolina. Yeah, absolutely, and that's one of the things, too, when you mentioned the Get Hook Fishing School, you know, as the listeners know, that's an event that we've helped take part in for quite some time now, but like you said, we will have a dedicated show for the Get Hook Fishing School, but if you're listening and you want to attend the school, go ahead and get your tickets now um, so they don't sell out. Because usually every year the uh, the event sells out. So, you know, visit the North Carolina Aquarium at Pine Knoll Shores website and register for the Get Hook Fishing School. Um, so if you're on the edge and, and you know, kind of waiting, don't wait too long because a lot of times this show always sells out. Yeah, it's one that uh, typically sells out usually with about two weeks two weeks away from the event date, and we're you know we try to be really picky about how many people we you know we allow to attend. Some shows will you know just pack you in, and we uh, we want it to be an intimate experience for our guests. Yeah, absolutely. So we definitely encourage people to do that. But 
excited to have Captain John Mauser back on the show with us to be able to give us some insights on that uh, late winter and spring redfish. And I'm going to go ahead and get him on the air with us. It looks like he's on the on the switchboard here. So, Captain John Mauser, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you guys doing tonight? We are doing fantastic, and we appreciate you for joining us again here on the Point Click Fish Radio Show. Good. Thanks so much for having me tonight. I really appreciate it. No, it's a great opportunity for us, John, to kind of keep our heartbeat on what's going on here on the Crystal Coast. I know you spend a, a lot of time on the water, not only you know down in Swansboro, but all over the the region. And uh, you know, you build a really good guide service that you, you do for yourself with tailing tide guide service. Uh, mainly, it sounds like kind of targeting red drum in that shallow water environment. But you're on a a lot of different fish throughout the year. Um, before we get into that, though, can you? Tell me a little, a little bit about yourself and, you know, the history of your, your business. Sure. Um, I'm actually uh, I'm about to hit the ripe old age of 36 uh, this coming week. So I've been on the water fishing probably since I was about four or five years old. Like most of us, I think, Wayne, you're probably about the same, that, you know, around five years old you're probably slinging bobbers at bluegill and catfish, you know, on the coastal rivers here. So I kind of got my start the same way. Um, I grew up in Edenton on the Chowan River and. And, uh, you know, we chased uh, rockfish, which are, you know, our, our stripers, and uh, bass and brim and catfish, things like that. Um, when I was probably uh, 12 or 13 years old, I kind of got introduced to the saltwater fishing. I had a, uh, some family that lived on Chesapeake Bay, and then, uh, you know, we weren't too far from the Outer Banks, so I got to spend a lot of time uh, chasing spadefish and sheepshead on the piers, um, you know, flounder and uh, striped bass on the Chesapeake Bay. So that was kind of my, my intro to, uh, to saltwater fishing, and then I went to... Uh, UNC Wilmington uh, for college, and really got introduced, you know, to kind of the the inshore saltwater flats fishing. That's that's where I really started getting my experience with, um, you know, with redfish and shallow water in the grass and, and things like that. So it really grew from there. And I'm kind of dating myself because that's, I mean, gosh, that was, uh, you know, 12, 13 years ago. It's been a while, maybe more than that. So I've been up in the Swansboro area for about 11 or 12 years now, and uh, so really gotten to know that area. And then also um, very familiar with uh, Moorhead City and Beaufort, Cape Lookout area, and uh, started the guide service up. Uh, this is my fourth year running charters, and uh, it's just one of those things where you know I enjoyed being out there so much, enjoyed taking people. Figured may as well make a business out of it. Well, it's always yeah, to be you- able to. It's always exciting to be able to uh, to do what you love, and and you know, and, and be able to make a little money while you do it. So it's always to, great to, to hear that passion. Yeah, it's it's fantastic, and, and I'm, you know, if if I wasn't here, I'd probably be in the Florida Keys uh, chasing tarpon and permit on the flats. And that's what's so cool about North Carolina is that it's really, you know, it's, it's only starting to show up in the last couple of years. People are figuring it out, and you're seeing more flats boats out here, more polling skiffs. But you know, there's some really good shallow water sight fishing opportunities in North Carolina, and uh, you know, Wilmington kind of picked up on it first. But you know, I think our fisheries every bit as good, if not better, here, uh, like on the Crystal Coast. And, um, you know, it's good to see people really getting into that and uh, getting out there and seeing, you know, redfish tailing, things like that, speckled trout up in the shallow water, and a lot of cool opportunities for fly fishermen and light tackle fishermen here. And, John, you, you mentioned that you fish a lot in the you know the backwaters around Swansboro, but I know you're also pretty active around Cape Lookout and comfortable off the beach uh, the right yeah. time of year and spend a lot of time up on the mm-hmm. Roanoke River there in the uh, in the fall and the spring as well. Um, mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about the areas where you fish and, some of the fish you target throughout the year sure um you know i I named my business after the the tailing redfish and obviously redfish is probably 
they're in competition with false albacore for my favorite all-time fish in North Carolina. Um, so, you know, the cool thing about redfish, unlike most everything else in North Carolina, is they're available 12 months of the year. Um, you know, a lot of people think that fishing stops, you know, October, November, and doesn't pick up again until, you know, April or May. Uh, the thing with the redfish is you can catch them 12 months a year. So I do spend probably 95% of my time chasing redfish in the Emerald Isle, Swansboro, down to, like, New River area. Um, I do a little bit up a little bit farther north in the Moorhead City, Beaufort, Cape Lookout area, um, but I think we've just got some really good fishing down here in the Swansboro area, uh, a little bit less pressure, a uh, little bit more uh, marsh creeks, a uh, little bit more habitat for them down there. Um, I do spend a lot of time up in the Moorhead and uh, Beaufort area for albacore, Spanish blue, sharks, speckled trout, basically everything else but drum. Um, you can't beat Moorhead City area. It's really good stuff. Uh, springtime, um, Roanoke River is a fantastic place to fish. I started fishing that probably mm, seven or eight years ago for shad and stripers. And uh, the first time I ever fished the upper Roanoke River around Weldon, Roanoke Rapids area, um, I was absolutely hooked. And I said I would fish that river every spring until I was too old to be able to fish again because uh, it's just, you know, after, you know, for somebody who's, if you get somebody who's not been fishing for two or three months during the winter, and then all of a sudden they go up there in March and they catch 100 fish in four hours, it's uh, it's an unbelievable experience and it's beautiful. It's, it's the, you know, it's it's the they're the harbingers of spring. So basically, when they show up, springtime's there. Everything's in bloom. Um, it's fantastic fishing, and then you know the fishing season picks up. So uh, lots of different things. Um, the, you know, we have fantastic fishing year-round um, for redfish, but probably uh, April May is a little bit slower for me um, year-round for redfish. So that's when we start focusing on the Roanoke River, um, a little bit near shore stuff on the wrecks and things like that. You know, a lot of people turn their attention to the Roanoke and the fact that you're, you know, kind of a transient and willing to travel and lead some trips up that way certainly allows people to, uh, to get dialed in on that fishery as the uh, peak season turns on. And, you know, that's really just around the corner. But, you know, you mentioned you spend a lot of time up in the, the real skinny water. So I, 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 have, I know from personally being out, out with you that your boat's really well designed for that type of fishing. Tell us about the, uh, the vessel you fish from. Sure. I'm currently running out of a uh, 2014 East Cape Fury. Um, it is uh, 18-foot boat, 72-inch beam. Um, it probably drafts about six inches of water, but um, on the platform I can push it through four inches of water if need be. And if we get stuck, I can get out back and, and hump it over two inches of water to get into the fishing spot. So it's a real stable platform as far as uh, polling skiffs go. Um, it is, uh, it's got a ton of storage. It's a very dry ride. You know, the 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 cool thing about that boat and, and there's several other boats in that class that are saying that you know you can get back in, in five or six inches of water in the Spartina grass for tailing redfish or on the mud flats in six inches of water and then later that day you can go four or five, six miles off the beach and fish a near shore ledge um in that same boat and be comfortable and safe in it. So uh pretty cool pretty cool boat. Um at some point I'll you know I'd love to own a twenty one or twenty three foot center console, but for right now this boat does a whole lot for me. Uh, it really allows you to specialize in the in the area that you really you know focus a lot of your time right light tackle and and fly fishing. I know you really like to cater to the fly fishing crowd as there's a really a technical aspect of that that I know you love. Maybe you can talk about winter fishing and uh you know how you you bring the fly anglers to uh to see those large schools <clears throat> of fish that congregate yeah. back in the backwaters. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot. Now I did jot some stuff down too because there's so much to talk about with the wintertime redfish and uh. I think the the only downside to wintertime red fishing is that here in North Carolina, 
our weather changes a lot. So, you know, obviously right now it's it's 60, 65 degrees, daytime temps. You know, last week it was ice and sleet and 30 degrees. So, you know, as long as people are flexible and can work with the, with the weather, um, it can be some of the, by far, the most fantastic fishing of the year for redfish. Um, in the wintertime, the water turns crystal clear, and basically that's because, you know, all the algaes and, and all the, the tannins and things like that that cause the water to be brown and murky, um, they kind of go away and the water becomes crystal clear for the most part. So it's a, it becomes a great visual sight fishing experience. It's much closer to being down in Florida and actually seeing the fish. Not You know, in the summertime we see the fish's backs break the surface. We see them pushing, we see them splashing, chasing bait, but it's really hard unless they're close to the boat to actually see the fish in that murky water. In the wintertime, those fish can be, you know, 50, 75 yards away, and you can see those schools of fish, not just the wake they're pushing, but physically see those fish. So it's a very exciting uh, uh, experience. The the thing about the wintertime fishing is that in the summertime, you can go pr- pretty much any spot, and you've got a chance of catching a redfish. They're scattered throughout the marsh. They're, you know, in the mainland creeks, they're back behind the barrier islands. They're in the intercoastal waterway. In the wintertime, those fish school up. So you're either going to have fish on the beach, in the surf, or you're going to have them back in the marsh. The fish in the marsh are going to be in large schools. Um, we see them anywhere from, you know, small schools of 20 or 30 fish up to schools of, you know, three, four, sometimes 500 fish in the back of these creeks or in these bays. Um, so it's really cool when you go back and you push back in 6 or 12 inches of the crystal clear water and you see 300 fish daisy chaining in the back of a creek with their backs breaking out of the water. Um, the reason they're doing that is because those fish school together in the wintertime for protection because the water's clear. And then also they are uh, they're looking for somewhere that's a little bit warmer than everywhere else. So if you get out there with your fish finder and you check the, the temperature of the boat ramp, temperature of the intercoastal waterway, in a bay, in a creek, the front of the creek, the back of the creek, you'll see those temperatures uh, vary quite a bit. And in the wintertime, uh, those fish want to find somewhere shallow when the sun's out because that's going to warm up the quickest. If you find somewhere with darker bottom, somewhere with oyster shells, that water's going to warm quicker than a light-colored sandy bottom. So those fish are trying to find somewhere a little bit warmer uh, and then somewhere with a little bit of protection, so they're going to need a channel or a deep hole nearby. Um, but that's basically the gist of it. It's a lot of searching. You've got to put, you know, you got to know where those fish are probably going to be, but it's also putting a lot of time in searching because, you know, you can spend, you know, six hours searching all day and hit 20 different spots and see nothing in the last spot you get to has 400 fish in it. And those fish, they like that area, they feel safe, and if you treat them nicely, they're going to be there all winter long. So you can fish those fish from, you know, December all the way through March. They should stay in those same spots. Um, as, far as, uh, as far as equipment and tackle, um, it really it's great for the, for the fly fishermen, um, but we also fish spinning rods for these guys. We're fishing, uh, as far as fly rods, we're fishing usually six, seven, or eight-weight fly rods, uh, floating lines, long leaders, because normally guys are fishing a six, seven, eight-foot leader. Sometimes we're fishing 10 or 12-foot leaders because the water's so clear and these fish are spooky. Real light flies um, like seducers and things like that that don't make a big splash when you cast to these fish. Um, and as far as spinning rod, usually a, uh, a medium light to a medium action spinning rod, like a, a 2500 or a 3000 series reel, uh, 10 or 20 pound braid, and fluorocarbon leader. And then, again, real light lures because you don't want to spook these fish. So a lot of times we're fishing like uh, weightless, uh, like DOA, uh, jerk baits, soft jerk baits, things like that with a, with a bass hook, maybe with a little teeny bit like a split shot weight on it. Um, but that's, that's basically what we're doing. We're just trying to stay on top of where the fish are. You know, we see 200 fish in a school. You know, we're not going to try to catch half of those fish. We're going to catch four or five, leave them alone so they feel safe. We'll go to another school and fish another school. 
Um, but like I said, the wintertime fishery, it's usually, you know, November, December, those fish get together. It lasts, you know, through March, maybe even early April until it starts to warm up and those schools break up. Um, the water's clear that whole time. Uh, just really exciting fishery uh, to be out there visually seeing those fish besides just seeing them push in murky water in the summertime. Yeah, well, you mentioned the variance in temperature, and we've, we've certainly seen, seen that in the past week or two. We had one day mm-hmm. where it was, seemed like we saw all four seasons the, the same day, yeah. the 80-mile-an-hour yeah. gust reported here on the Crystal Coast. But, you know, what I've learned fishing with you and a couple of other good friends is that that really seems to affect us more than the fish because we've caught fish, you know, John, going out with you on, on days where we were bundled up, wearing four or five layers of clothes, water temperatures in the, you know, the mid-40s, and uh, you and I, you know, shaking because we're so cold, but still seeing fish that were aggressive enough to, to take a lure. They might not be fighting and, you know, feeding like they do in the summertime, but we've, we've caught some fish on some pretty cold days. Absolutely. And, and and what I was told earlier on, you know, when I started fishing for these fish and and I found it to be pretty, too, pretty true, it was about 42 degrees water temperature is kind of the on-off point for these fish. Um, I've seen them and water in the 30s and they're still handling it you know when, when it's ice and snow everywhere else and the water's just above freezing um and those fish are just barely moving along you can hit them with the boat because they're sw- swimming so slow um and then as soon as it gets above 42 degrees they seem to turn on i've seen them, you know 45 degrees completely on fire and eating like they're starving to death so um they they definitely that water temp's very important um and that's why a lot of times when we're fishing wintertime that water temp not only the location it can change, but also the time of the day. You know, summertime we're fishing early and late, mostly for our comfort, not for the fish's comfort. In the wintertime, there's no need to get out there at 7 in the morning. There's no need to be out there at, you know, 6 at sunset. Um, we're normally fishing mid-morning to mid-afternoon on those lower tides because when those tides are low, the water's shallow, and the sun is directly overhead and it's not cloudy, it's going to heat the water up. And we've been out in the morning before where, you know, the water temp's 40 degrees and their fish aren't eating, you come back to that same school two hours later and the temperatures come up and those fish have turned on. Yeah. And I know one of the fun things about fishing for those those reds back in the backwater is not only, and maybe not so much in the winter, but as we kick into spring, you also start, and, and certainly in the fall too, you see a lot of other uh, species that, that are found in the same locations. Uh, what other kind of stuff do you do back in the backwaters? Yeah, um, you know, we, we mainly target uh, the redfish but we catch a ton of flounder in the same area. Um, yep. We don't ever target them, but you don't have to target them because if you're casting to a redfish and there's a flounder there, he will not pass up, you know, a, a properly presented fly or a lure. Um, you know, a topwater lure is about the only thing you're probably not going to get a flounder on. But otherwise, any kind of soft plastic or spinnerbait, the flounders will nail it. A lot of the creeks we fish, um, although most of it's shallow water, they've got deeper holes. And when I say deeper holes, I guess everything's relative. I'm talking three to four foot deep holes that the redfish will drop down in that low tide for protection, and the flounder will stack in those deeper holes, too. Um, along with that, you know, we pick up a lot of speckled trout. With, you know, we target them in the fall and winter, obviously. Um, those same creeks that hold the redfish, um, if you've got current and you've got depth, you've got, you know, four to eight foot of depth dropping off the bank, and you've got current flowing through there, um, you're going to have speckled trout in the fall. Um, but we also pick those up while fishing for redfish. We uh, occasionally see the speckled trout sunning, with the redfish and very, very shallow water, less than a foot. Um, and there's always big speckled trout. It's really impressive. Um, but those are very hard to get those to eat. Usually, if you see a speckled trout, he's not going to eat for you. So those are the main inshore things. We also pick up black drum. Um, we don't have a ton of huge black drum like they do down in, uh, 
in Louisiana, but we've got a ton of those small, like, one- to two-pound black drum, and we see huge schools of those in the wintertime also. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the red fishing certainly catches most people's attention, but it's, it's nice to be able to have a mixed bag when you're Absolutely. fishing back there. And, and you run into a, you know, a lot of different stuff. I've, I've seen following your post, uh, you do a good job of keeping, you know, you just updated your website, and you do a good job of keeping that updated with uh, along with your social media, constantly sharing some uh, some photos you take out on the water and, you know, knowing that I've followed that for a while, I know that as you turn your attention away from the reds, you really do start to focus on uh, stuff that's going on in the river systems like striped bass. And I guess the shad are starting to show up right now, too. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, they, they are starting to show up. Um, and and, and, it, and it's, a, it's really good timing because, honestly, probably the hardest time of year for me personally to catch a redfish is going to be April, maybe May. Um, and, and they just get a little bit weird, and it's mainly because they're going from those wintertime patterns to the summertime patterns or springtime patterns. They're still trying to figure out what they're doing. Um, a lot of them will go lockjaw all that time of year. Um, they'll feed on soft-shell crabs, things like that, and it makes them a little bit harder to get them to eat. You know, we'll throw a lure in front of them, and, and they won't touch it. You put a little bit of crab scent, you throw that same lure and let it sit, don't move it, and they'll come over and eat it. So it's a little bit tougher time. So, yeah, we love to focus that time of year um, on the on the river fishery. Uh, all the nattermus fish, your shad and your uh, and your striped bass, they're moving up the rivers to spawn. So you've got fish in the Cape Fear, you've got fish in the Noose, you've got fish in the Roanoke, um, all fantastic places to fish. I personally just I'm a huge fan of the Roanoke River around Weldon, so it's worth a, a three-hour drive for me to hit up I-95 to fish those fish. Um, usually up there, you know, in the Noose River, we get shad starting in February. Um, usually the Roanoke River is going to be more of a, a like second week of March thing. Is usually when those shad show up. Um, Mid-March, they're they're there in huge numbers. Um, the shad stay in the Upper Roanoke from mid-March to probably mid-April, and then about the same time as they're starting to fade out, the striped bass are moving up in in early April, and those fish will stay there through mid-May. Um, you, the keeper season on the Roanoke is the entire month of April, um, so it can be crazy there. Um, but I love going fishing for the striped bass. In early May, the first two weeks in May, once the keeper season is closed, um, there's just some fantastic fishing for the striped bass on the river up there. Yeah, and with the reports that we saw on back around Mans Harbor and backside of the Outer Banks this past fall, things are, there's, a, there's a really good concentration of striped bass, nice-sized fish that are going to be mm-hmm. making that run up the river along with <laughs> that. Um, you know, what do you anticipate for this year? I know you spent some time up there last year. You did some guided trips. Do you... Uh, anticipate it's going to be a good season for them this year, probably a little bit better yeah. size. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, four or five years ago, there, it, it seemed like there was a smaller size class of stripers on the Roanoke. Um, the last two or three years, they've been a pretty good average fish. Whereas, I mean, there, there was years, a couple of years ago where your average striped bass was, you know, 15 to 16, 17 inches. Um, last year, the average fish that we were catching was more in the 20 to 24-inch range. So as long as those males continue, they come back up again this year to breed, there should be some good-sized fish up there. There's huge, there's huge, huge female striped bass in the Roanoke River. Um, the problem is for every female up there, um, there's 100 males, and they're much more aggressive. So the guys who really want to target it and spend all day and try to catch one of those 40, 50-pound females, they're fishing huge live baits. They're fishing you know, big herring. Some of those guys get... Um, fish farm rainbow trout, fish live, you know, 12, 14-inch rainbow trout for those big fish. Um, we're mainly still doing the light tackle, the, the top water stuff early morning and, and late evening, and then fishing down in the deeper water in the current through the day when those stripers drop down. So we're mainly catching those males, but it can be pretty fast and furious when you get on them and, 
you know, not every day is a hundred fish day like the Roanoke advertises, but you know, most days you're still going to catch two or three dozen striped bass. Um, shad much more, you know, uh, a fifty to hundred fish day on shad in March or April um, is pretty much standard. Now, do you use the same class gear for striped bass, uh, fly in, um, spinning gear that you use when you're targeting redfish? Uh, pretty much. So yeah, so so your, your shad stuff is going to be kind of your 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 light action stuff. On um, the striped bass, pretty much the same, um, because you don't know if you're, you know, you might there's all the time people hook into a, you know, 36, 40 inch fish in there. So um, usually uh, medium action tackle or medium action spinning rod, a seven foot medium action spinning rod. Usually I'll use like 20 pound braid on that, uh, 20 pound, you know, two or three foot of 20 pound uh, mono leader, and then we're fishing. Uh, in the morning and the evenings, those fish are up on, along the banks under the uh, overhanging trees or around the log jams, things like that, and they'll hit on top water. So the first hour or two of the morning, the last hour or two of the day, um, you can fish like uh, Zara Spooks, Pop R's, you know, your normal top water bass lures. Uh, once the sun gets up a little bit, that quits, and then we're fishing leadhead jigs and we're fishing, you know, curly tail grubs, bucktails, um, three or four inch um, soft plastic DOA lures, things like that. Color doesn't seem to be too important those fish will eat anything gets in front of them but it is murky water there so so the brighter the better yeah yeah and i know as that season kind of winds up and the spring season continues on you also like to spend a lot of time off the beach there cape lookout uh, off swansboro off bear island uh what do you like to tackle that time of year as the spring season's kind of turning into summer oh my gosh uh as good as it was last year in the month of April and the beginning of May, I'm I'm planning on being out there every day as possible. Um, there, there's a in the bonito bite, and then along with that, the albacore and the Spanish in the spring can be fantastic. Um, last year was one of the best uh, bonito bites I've ever seen. You know, historically I've fished them out of Moorhead City, but we fished them out of uh, New River Inlet, and uh, or out of New River Inlet and out of Browns Inlet. Um, all the hard bottom ledges, anywhere from a mile to five miles off the beach, 30 to 60 foot of water, were holding huge schools of uh, bonito and uh, big, big albacore last year. Um, those fish normally those fish are early morning busting or late evening busting, and then you're jigging. They're in the middle part of the day. Last year those fish were on the surface all day long. We had, I, I remember Wayne, we had a day. Me and you fished, and I think we probably ran three or four miles, and we never stopped seeing fish bust. So there's huge yeah. amounts of them out there. But you know the Morehead City, the or Atlantic Beach, the AR-315, 320, 330, um, they also hold those fish, too. Yeah, a lot of people like to target those fish kind of trolling along, pulling a variety of different lures back behind the boat. But as you said, it's mm-hmm. really nothing more fun than seeing them busting on the surface. And, John, I'll, I'll say that I think we had a better spring on false albacore than we did our fall this past year. <laughs> no no, no question. And, uh, you know, and I'm not going to blame the fish for this fall. I'm going to blame the weather um, we had a really good albacore season shaping up uh, mid to late September until we had that big storm come through and, and dump that huge amount of fresh water on us. And it was just, you know, things never really got back together. Um, it was just, it was a horrible, it was the worst season I've seen in 10 years. And uh, that's why, you know, we really keep our fingers crossed for no hurricanes, no tropical storms, you know, September and October because it can, it can, you know, screw the fishing up. But um, this spring was unbelievable. I mean, we, you know, probably the last two weeks of April, the bonito were super thick and the albacore were super thick. In the springtime, I'd much rather catch a bonito because it's one of my favorite fish to eat. The albacore is going to get a picture taken. He's going to get chunks back overboard. Um, and then towards the beginning of May this past year, um, the albacore disappeared, and it was just the bonito, and then the Spanish started to show up. So that was really fantastic that, 
you know, whatever's going to bite your line was something that was going to be great for dinner. You didn't have to worry about it being an albacore. Albacore is my favorite fish unless I'm trying to catch a bonita, and then I don't care for them quite as much. But they're they're all fantastic sports fish to catch. Yeah, and when you're when you're out there targeting fish off the beach on calm days, uh, you see them busting bait on the surface. It's really just an exciting style of fishing. Uh, when you're doing that style of fishing, what what types of tackle do you use for that, and what types of lures or flies would you would you recommend? Sure. Again, it's it's very similar to the redfish tackle. That's what's so great. You know, fly fishing or spinning rod fishing around here inshore or near shore, you know, your standard medium action spinning rod with like a 3000 series, whether it's a Shimano or a pin or whatever type of a reel, and like 20-pound braid just works all around. So same thing for the Bonita. Um, make sure you've got, you know, 100, 150, 200 yards of braid on there because they're, they're, they make long runs just like the albacore. Um, we do tip it off with about uh, three feet of 30-pound fluorocarbon, uh, Benito have fantastic eyesight, but they've also got really sharp teeth, unlike the albacore. So, um, you fish anything less than that, they'll 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 bite it off. Um, normally, we're throwing uh, smaller jigs, just like you would for albacore. So, like Maria jigs, uh, sting silvers, diamond jigs, things like that, in the the smaller sizes, little you know one and a half to two inch sizes. Color doesn't seem to matter too much. Um, and then also sometimes we'll find them feeding on bigger bait, and then we'll catch them on three or four inch soft plastics. Um, on a jig head. So, um, like I said, the, the the fishing is fantastic when they're busting on the surface, but if they're not, um, if you know where the hard bottom ledges are or any of the artificial reefs, um, just drift over them and then you know drop your jig down to the bottom and then just jig it straight back up to the surface. And uh, if those fish are around, you'll find out pretty quickly. You, you mentioned that uh, when you when you catch these fish, you typically like to be able to uh, to get them to pose for a photo for you. Um, following your you know your Facebook page, you and your Instagram page, you can tell that you've got a passion for not only fishing but also for photography and i know you've gotten into videography quite a bit over the years maybe you could share some tips with our, our audience on you know what's an important aspect and some tips on how to capture that moment capturing great pictures and getting some good video while you're out on the water right um sure uh I'll, there's oh my gosh i we could do an entire show we could talk for an hour about photography and photography on the water yep. um so i'll try to sum it up in, in a few things um I've always got a cell phone handy because it's the easiest way to snap a pic, but I try to, whenever possible, um, use my, my DSLR, my digital SLR camera, um, just because as good as phones are, there's still no comparison to the quality. Um, if you are shooting a DSLR, and most people start off shooting JPEGs, um, I would really recommend learning how to shoot uh, in RAW. And RAW is just a huge, huge file that stores all the information. When you shoot a JPEG, Basically, the camera does some processing and locks that processing in and, and throws away all the other information on that photo. When you shoot in RAW, um, it stores a huge amount of information. So even if you get blacked out or blown out areas in your photo, when you process them later, you can pull that stuff back out and you can get those images out of there. You can fix shadows. You can do ten times more things to, to fix a photo because the reality is when you're out on the water and you've got fish slashing around, you know, you've only got too, but so much time to you know, set up a shot and think about it. So uh, shooting in RAW, and then if you become familiar with, with Lightroom or Photoshop, um, you can take photos that are so-so and, and turn them amazing. A lot of the photos I've shot, I was like, ah, when I look at them in the viewfinder, you bring them home and you edit them if they're in RAW, and you can do some amazing things. I always shoot a polarizer filter on my lens. Um, one, it protects your lens, but two, it really improves the quality. It takes the glare off your photos, takes the glare off the water. Um, we know how important polarized sunglasses are when we're fishing, it's just important, just as much importance to have a, a circular polarizer on your lens. Um, 
And then I've got to decide, what am I shooting? Am I shooting, am I shooting a portrait, whether it's a portrait of a fish, a portrait of the angler, a portrait of the angler and a fish? If so, you know, I want to focus that image to focus on that angler and that fish. So I shoot wide apertures. So I always shoot an aperture priority, not shutter speed priority. So I'll set a wide aperture to have a shallow depth of field. And basically what that means is I'm going to crank that aperture open to like a 2.8 to a 3.5 or a 4 f-stop. And that when I focus on that person or that fish, it's going to throw a lot of everything in the background into a blur. It makes it more pleasing for, for your eye when you look at that photo. It focuses the sharpness on the image of that person. And you can see everything in the background, but it's not distracting. You know, and I'll do the opposite. I'll shoot a, a real deep depth of field if I'm shooting you know, a landscape or the ocean or the marsh because I want everything to be in focus. So then I'm going to flip that after priority and crank it to you know, F8 or F16, something like that. That way everything's in focus. So uh, that's pretty much it. I try to keep the sun to my back and uh, just be real careful about shadows on people's faces. So, John, John I had a question about um, y- your photography excellent and you know a lot of the information that you're given is fantastic but you know one of the things that we hear and we all kind of joke about it but you know some people they want to know the setting how to make the fish look bigger and it's really about how you <laughs> how you position the fish a lot of times but any recommendation on you know kind of setting up the fish for the shot i mean obviously we know there's not a, a setting per se but you know how to position the fish to 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 show it the best way possible Absolutely. That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. Um, a couple things. First off, you know, hero shots are great, but I think the fish should always be the star of the photo. Um, so, you know, how you position your hands on that fish, and usually, you know, hopefully you're catching a fish big enough to hold it with two hands, you know, I always try to focus on having my hands behind the fish. So all you should see is, you know, your thumb on the top of the fish and maybe your fingertips on the bottom. A lot of people will wrap their arm or their hands over top of the fish facing the photo, and it takes away from the beauty of the fish. So we try to, you know, keep your hands behind that fish, position them that way. Always shoot a couple different angles. I'll shoot one straight on, you know, a side shot of that fish. Um, I'll put one towards, with his face towards the, the photo uh, or towards the camera, and then I'll put one with the tail towards the camera. So that way you've got a couple different choices when you get back. Um, and then, you know, extend your fish out a little bit, but, you know, you just don't want to shove it into the camera too much. Um, and then it, it becomes obvious you're trying to make the fish big. Um, release shots are fantastic, you know. I don't want to just have a shot of the fish. I think it's just as cool to have a shot of an angler with a rod doubled over, and, and you can just imagine that reel screaming in that photo. And then I love having the picture of that person leaning over the boat, releasing that redfish or, or tossing that albacore back in the water, those action shots. So, um, so that's the main thing is just, you know, you zoom in on that fish, make sure he's filling the frame, kind of bring him up chest height so you get your face and, and the fish in the image, try a couple different positions, and don't forget to give those action shots. The, the reeling the fish in and the releasing of the fish kind of tells the whole story. And it's real easy to talk about positioning the fish, but when you're holding a, a bonita or an albacore that's spitting bait up all over the place, sometimes you just got to capture it as you can. <laughs> sometimes the, 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 the spit-up pictures are the best. I've got a friend who I've taken before, and we took photos of him with his albacore, and the albacore vomited in the photo, and there's just a spray of uh, <laughs> bait spitting out. And he he turned that, it was him and his girlfriend, and they turned that into the Christmas card. And I received a Christmas card, and it was called the Albi Puke photo. And it's them holding this big albacore and vomit to spray out. And they thought it was so fantastic, such a great action shot, they turned it into a Christmas card. So, yeah, you take what you can get, and sometimes it turns out bad, and sometimes it turns out fantastic. 
And I know you shoot the, the video, a lot of the video that you shoot, you use a GoPro, of course, to capture some of the action sequences, but you use your your digital SLR as well for, for video now, too. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the key to getting good video, lots of batteries, lots of, uh, of um, uh, digital film cards, uh, memory cards, and if you can get multiple cameras rolling different positions and then just roll the whole time. Because, I mean, the reality of it is when you see a fishing show and you see 20 minutes of fishing action, it took those guys, you know, two days to film it. So you film everything possible, and then you just cut out the, you know, you, you cut it down to the, the exciting parts. Um, the GoPros are fantastic for, for two things. Um, they're great for um, running the entire time and catching the hookups, and then they're great for releases because you can get them wet and you can put them in the water, and you don't have to worry about them getting messed up. Um, otherwise, I love to, you know, when the person's reeling in the fish, I'll jump down off the platform, and I'll get the DSLR, and I'll turn it on. Again, I'm shooting portraits of them, even though it's video. So I'm going to shoot a wide aperture again, like an F2.8 to an F4. That way I focus in on the person, and everything else kind of goes to a blur. So it just, you know, makes them the uh, the, the star of the video um, instead of everything going on in the background. Um, and I shoot uh, video on my SLR completely manual. So, you know, I don't want to be pushing the button down and zoom, 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 trying to focus on it. Um, I'm using you know, my hands to focus constantly in and out of focus um, gives a real artistic look to it. Um, and then when you combine that with your GoPro images and everything in, in photo editing or video editing, it kind of gives, you know, a lot of different angles, and you can tell there's different camera um, setups going on, and it just really adds to the video. Obviously, you know, you're spending a lot of time out on the water chase, chasing a variety of different species of fish off the coast, and you know, it's pretty clear that you you also spend quite a bit of time on the uh, on the computer, keeping up your website, keeping up your Facebook, and you know working to edit all the the footage that you capture. Um, somehow you still keep yourself you know available to be involved in a lot of other things as well. Um, I'd love to give you an opportunity to talk about your your involvement with Project Healing Waters because I know it's something that you really get a lot of enjoyment from, and it's a it's a great cause. Yeah, it's 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 a huge thing for me. It's become a, a big part of my life. Um, I think more and more people every day, every week are learning about Project Healing Waters, but for those of of the audience who who don't know about it, basically um Project Healing Waters is a is a charity organization, um non for profit, um, that basically they uh they're dedicated to physical and emotional rehabilitation of disabled veterans and disabled active duty military. So it doesn't matter what branch of the military you're in. Um, as long as you have a disability rating, anything from 1 to 100, um, you're allowed to join it. Um, Project Healing Waters originally started in 2005 in Northern Virginia, just a small group that got together. Um, at this point, there's over 200 Project Healing Waters programs in the United States. Um, I mean, all the way as far as there's one in Hawaii. Um, and then also, in North Carolina last year, there was eight. Um, we were the eighth one to join in North Carolina. By the end of 2016, they're supposed to be 12. So they're growing really quickly. Um, we're one of the few saltwater ones. Most of them are focused around trout and pond fishing. But basically, uh, the, each program is different, but it's completely volunteer-run. Um, I've got about five or six volunteers in our program. We've got about 30 participants. Um, we get together twice a month for fly tying and casting practice, and then we get together once a month for a fishing trip. It may be a local fishing trip, you know, Shackleford Banks for Spanish mackerel. It may be we're going to the mountains for three days, um, it may be the Cape Cod Albacore Festival. Um, two weeks ago, we went to the big fly fishing show in Winston-Salem. 
Um, next month, there's something called Marabou Madness in Fayetteville that that program's putting on, um, where they've actually taken the ponds at the Peckman Fishing Center, and since it's cold enough this time of year, they've stocked them with speckled trout. So they do fly tying all day, and then they fish stock ponds for speckled trout in Fayetteville. So there's a huge amount of, of different programs going on, but it's all it's all volunteer run, and it's all um, based on donations, all the money um, that goes to it. So basically, the the the, the military servicemen, the vets, the active duty. They don't pay a cent. We we cover the hotels, we cover the fuel, we cover the food, everything for the trips, um, all the fishing gear, all the rods, all that stuff. Um, it's completely free to them as a thank you for for what they've done for the country. Yeah, I know. With that being said, you found a uh, a lot of companies who are really willing to help support your your work that you do with Project Hill <laughs> in the Waters, and also who you know help support what you do with your your guide business. I uh, certainly want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about some of these companies that have been. Uh, so supportive over the years. Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, the first one that comes to mind always is Temple Fork Outfitters, TFO Fly Rods um, and Spinning Rods. I use both their spinning rods and their fly rods exclusively. Um, they're a, a fantastic product at a fantastic price um, in a world where, you know, some companies charge $800 for fly rods. So, you know, they've got a really good deal going on in lifetime warranties. But beyond the the, the equipment, uh, that company's just built uh, out of some fantastic people. Um, the the president and the vice president come down and they fish with us every year. Um, they're huge donors to Project Healing Waters. Um, they give a huge amount of that. They've got rods that have the Project Healing Waters name on it, and they donate the money from each of those to the programs. Um, they also help with um, with casting for recovery, which is for um, a fly fishing program for women who are um, getting through breast cancer. Um, so they donate towards that. Um, they help with our Albacore Festival every fall. They're the, the, the main sponsor of that. Um, they're probably the most generous giving company I've ever dealt with. Um, so, so a huge thank you to those guys always. Um, AllenFlyFishing.com, they make fantastic uh, fly reels. I use those reels exclusively. A great group of guys and, and really high-quality products. Um, they've recently started making spinning reels under a company called Six Gill, and I'm switching over to all those spinning reels, and they make some fantastic spinning reels. Um, so Six Gill fishing uh marshwear clothing down in charleston um fantastic company and they made just some you check out marshwearclothing.com um it's one of the few uh fishing clothing companies that uh, it's focused more on the stuff that we do here in coastal in the carolinas on redfish and speckled trout things like that not your standard you know florida tarpon and, and and bonefish shirts so they've got some really cool stuff uh smith optics uh, for sponsorship for sunglasses. They make the best, best sunglasses on the planet as far as I'm concerned. Um, and EastCapesGifts.com uh, down in Orlando. Uh, probably the most custom boat company there is. There's some fantastic boat companies out there. Uh, Maverick, Hells Bay, they all make top-of-the-line polling skiffs. But East Cape, you know, you, you tell them what you want, and they're like, you tell them jump, and they say how high. So they're there, please, and they've got the best customer service I've ever dealt with. With the boat company, and I've been through plenty of boats, and our customer service after the sale is probably one of the most important things for me. So East Cape Skiffs, uh, fantastic boat company. So that's that, I've got a ton of people that have helped me out, um, but those are the main ones. And just a huge thank you to the clients. Everybody supported me, uh, supported Project Healing Waters, and, uh, and also Point Click Fish for letting me come on the radio show and talk tonight. Well, we always appreciate you taking the time to come on and let us know about all the great things that you're doing uh, both on and off the water. I mean, you definitely do a great job giving back uh, to the community, and it's always great to have you uh, on the show. 
Thank you. I appreciate it very much. Enjoy being on the show. Yeah, well, John, before we, we let you go, I know you've also got some uh, some travel plans coming just around the corner. Um, tell me what you've got planned for some, some tropical. You mentioned you like to talk about you know, tarpon and bonefish, and that's probably where you'd be if you weren't here in North Carolina. You're still oh, yeah. Fix, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. yeah you always got to get your fix. Um, actually, coming up before that, uh, something really cool that I've wanted to do for years, and uh, it's like we're going to do it this year. Um, we're going to go fish uh, the cicada hatch in West Virginia. And I'm, and I'm not sure how – you know, people are, are, are familiar with, you know, in the summertime they see cicadas that come out of the ground. They live in the ground for a certain amount of years. They come out. Um, well, there's a species or a couple species that are they're considered 17-year cicadas. So they live in the ground for 17 years, and every 17 years they hatch in these – by the bazillions. And they're probably like the most protein-packed fish morsel there is. So when these things fly around and they land in the water, that you know, that springtime when it happens and it's gonna be this May in West Virginia, um, the fish go nuts. Uh so up there smallmouth bass, catfish, carp, everything that's usually hard to catch. I mean they're basically like goldfish on the surface sucking down pellets. So we're gonna tie up a bunch of cicada flies and trailer the boat up to West Virginia. We'll probably be the only uh polling skiff from Florida uh fishing in the lakes and rivers in West Virginia, but we're gonna go do that. I'm super excited about the cicada hatch. And then uh and then in June, um, we're going to head down to uh, Grand Bahama Island for a week um, and do a little bit of bone fishing. I went to, I've been wanting to go to the Bahamas for years. Uh, my wife and I went for our 10-year anniversary last year in March and uh, got to do some bone fishing on my own on foot. And then I got to do it um, with East, uh, East End Lodge down there in Grand Bahama Island on their boat. And that was just, uh, that eight hours on the water is one of the most unbelievable fly fishing experiences I've ever had the amount of life there in the Bahamas, not just the hundreds of bonefish we saw, but the hundreds of sharks we saw, uh, dozens of barracuda, um, huge stingrays, just an unbelievable experience. So we're going back in June, and we're going to spend a week uh, up there fishing for bonefish. Gotcha. You'll, de- you'll definitely have to let us know and keep us updated on on the trips. It sounds like uh, both of them will be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, you I stay think, uh, busy I think, yeah, I was gonna say I think variety is the spice of life. So I love redfish down here, but you know you always gotta sneak up to the mountains for trout. You gotta do some fresh water. You gotta go south, and sometimes you go north too. So <laughs> yeah, well, it is, again, it's obvious that you uh, you stay busy. We just appreciate you taking the time to uh, share with our audience uh, what you've got going on too, and I give you the opportunity before we let you go to tell them how they can get in touch with you and how to keep up with you on the internet. Absolutely. On um, my website, it's pretty simple: Tailing Tide guideservice.com um, and I'm also and, and once you get on there you've got links to everything you've got links to my Facebook my Vimeo uh, YouTube Instagram all that good stuff my my email address my phone number but it's tailingtideguideservice.com and then my Facebook is uh, if you go to facebook.com and just search tailingtide guide service uh, and then uh, email address is uh, John D. Mauser at yahoo.com and my cell phone is Nine one zero three four zero four eight one one. So if anybody's interested in any upcoming trips, uh, feel free to text, call, or email me. Um, but don't worry about writing that stuff down. If you can get to tailingtideguideservice.com, um, all the links and all the information's up there. Yeah, we we definitely encourage our audience to get in touch with you quickly. As the the winter red fishing is going to be you know coming to an end soon, but then yeah. there's you know all the spring stuff that's uh, just around the corner. So uh, a great opportunity to get out on the water and learn more about the the surrounding waterways are with you and Tailing Tide Guide Service. Awesome. I appreciate it so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. 
That was Captain John Mauser telling Todd God service. We thank him for coming on the show with us this evening. Wayne, I tell you, he's got a lot of great things that he's doing, uh, both giving back uh, to the community and also in the fishing world as well. He's definitely stays very active and we de- he was talking about the photography, Wayne, and we definitely encourage people to go to his website and social media to take a look at, um, you know, the quality of his images. They're they're amazing. Yeah, John was a, uh, a professional photographer um, before he started his guide business. He, he he kind of started a business for a while where he was you know doing land based photography stuff, and then he kind of started getting so busy on the water that that's not as active as it was. Um, but he's just, you know, very technical, you know, photographer, very technical angler, um, you know, and very just passionate individual. I've been fortunate to get to spend, a, you know, a lot of time on, on the water and getting to know John over the years. I actually went to school with him down at UNC Wilmington. We went there and were in the same marine biology classes together uh, back in the late 90s and you know, the beginning of 2000. And uh, just, you know, puts his heart into everything he does. Uh Certainly, when you're on board his boat, he does everything he can to, you know, to put the fish in front of you and to, you know, to direct you and how to, how to target those fish. Not only, you know, technical anglers that have a lot of experience, but he's really, really good at working with people who are, you know, just starting to, you know, get familiar with the saltwater fishing industry. And uh, I, I can't recommend anybody, you know, above him. Not only for, you know, his love of fishing and being able to put you on fish, but he also with his marine biology background. Just knows a tremendous amount about the uh, about the wildlife in our area. So, so fishing with John, he's he's not really a meat fisherman. You know, he's not one of those guys you're going to go out and try to fill up the cooler. I don't think that's really his goal. But you know, if your goal is to to learn and to enjoy nature and to you know put some fish in your hands, get some beautiful pictures, and you know, a good number of them, whether a good number of them are are released boatside. So, a, a true conservationist and just just a lot of fun to, to spend time with him out on the water. Yeah, absolutely. And I got Price here on the switchboard. Want to get him on? Uh, Price was out uh, doing a little coaching there with the with the soccer team. So Price, uh, I mean, uh, excuse me, Coach Price, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Jay and Wayne. Good to talk to you, man. I, I got the caught the tail end of that, and I'm into photography myself, so I can't wait to go to his website and. Uh, check out his pictures. That sounds really cool. Yeah, Captain John Mauser is telling us about uh, his work with the Healing Waters and, uh, you know, the, the different style of fishing that he does here on the Crystal Coast of North Carolina. So it's definitely, uh, in addition to that, he obviously has passion and for photography. So he was definitely sharing some tips that I think we all could use when we're on the water taking those pictures and, uh, you know, making it better as we go and and one of the things we talked about was how to position the fish to where you get the best shot possible of that fish. Well, you know, Jay, it's interesting, you know, again, I just caught the tail end of the discussion, but I was going to say we can almost do a show in the future, uh, especially with all the tournaments that we cover, as far as some of the tournaments that do require some sort of footage or uh, video or photo proof of the catch of the fish these days. And, uh, Jay, we've seen boats that have, you know, 12 camera systems uh when the fish is on these cameras they got them synced together where they're shooting uh angles every which way you can think of and uh it's gotten pretty sophisticated now how people actually can document them you know catching a single fish yeah i think we should title the show how to make your fish look bigger 
<laughs> without making it obvious. Yeah, without making it, without extending your arms so so far that you look kind of odd. <laughs> Uh, well, with I mean, because we, be, because we, because we never see that on social media ever. <laughs> uh, with John's photography skills, we're really fortunate that he's been willing to, you know, share some of the photos that he's taken with us too, and you'll you'll see them on our our website as well. So it's just great to have somebody who's, you know, so skilled at capturing the moment and creating content, and then he he brings that back and uh, you know is willing to share it and also does a good job of promoting himself with uh with those images. Yeah, I wanted uh, Price. We were talking about the truck too. Uh, we we're heading to pick up the the truck to con- continue on to its next journey before it makes its debut. So we said we're heading to Downey Soft Road tomorrow to be able to pick up the truck and get it to its next de- destination because we're wrapping up the ultimate fishing truck and uh, definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, you know, uh, Wayne Jay shares these pictures with me of the truck. And I see all these rigid lights on it, and uh, I swear, I, I always say, you know, it reminds me of like it's like the bat, bat Batmobile going into the Batcave or something. Uh, <laughs> it look, uh, it's cool. I mean, it's a monster. And then to see all those cool lights on it and stuff, I mean, it is. It's really going to be uh, when people have an opportunity to see pictures of this. It is amazing, and I know we'll have a show dedicated. Uh, uh, talking about the whole process of this truck and then obviously all the partners that we have. And then don't forget, we've got our the new uh, PCF Live Events trailer uh, that's going to be coming uh, hopefully, what, Jay, maybe the next four to six weeks maybe? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're definitely on track to have it out in the next four to six weeks. And, you know, it's, it's uh, definitely going to give us a platform to where we can produce some uh, great quality content on the road. So it's going to give us the opportunity to be able to uh, have a studio on the road and to be able to bring you live tournament coverage in a, in a format, in a quality that uh, we've never been able to do before. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. And, uh, you know, obviously we'll, once we get uh, that finished, we'll obviously share pictures with that. The truck's going to be done first. And then hopefully right after the truck, we'll have the the trailer done. And, you know, we're hoping, uh, we've talked about where we'll be making appearances at different places. You know, just not only tournaments, but we'll do some community events, some fishing schools. Uh, and, and, Jay, we may have an announcement uh, about maybe even a store appearance coming soon. Yeah, absolutely. We, yep, we're definitely looking forward to getting the show on the road, guys. And, and And that's one thing that Wayne and I were talking about earlier when the show first started is, having John in Miami and myself up in New England and doing things here, you know, kind of the divide and conquer is point click fish grows to be able to expand our reach, expand our network and grow the technology that has, has really pushed us. Oh, another thing guys, um, Wayne, I know we're, we're going to have a show uh, on this, but March 4th, 5th and 6th, big water adventures, uh, I make my debut on the Outdoor Channel with Mark Davis and Big Water Adventures, March 4th, 5th, and 6th, where we're fishing with Captain Mitchell Blake on um, the Noose and the Pamlico chasing the large old drum. Yeah, yeah. hopefully we'll be able to get it lined up for, for next week's show and get to invite Captain Mitchell Blake back on the air with us and talk about the experience of uh, 
you know, filming those massive fish. I know we talked with Mark Davis a little bit about it, uh, you know, on our first show of the season, but uh, certainly something we anticipate seeing your pretty face up there on the TV screen. And, uh, <laughs> Sounds like it's going to make for just you know some epic footage, bringing Eastern North Carolina right up to the to the forefront. Yeah, I'm definitely definitely excited. Uh, you know, the footage and the fishing just definitely cooperated uh, for us, and it just allowed a platform uh, to to produce some great quality content. I'm told, so we definitely look forward to to getting that uh, on the air, the March fourth, fifth, and sixth. Yeah, you know, winter is. Go ahead, sorry, Price. I was going to say, and Jay, also, we can probably, you know, when uh, you have uh, Mitchell on the show, we can talk about one of our uh, newest web clients that we've got that we're working with that you'll see a lot of their products on that show, and we can share, uh, you know, more information about that company and their products, and, uh, you know, uh, that, that will be exciting to share that information as well. Yeah. You know, that's something that's something that's really cool, Bryce, is, is you know, we have a, a web and marketing company and it's amazing to get to work with some of the, the, you know, the key people in the industry, key companies in the industry, key captains, teams, tournaments, um, influential people in this industry. And that's awesome to be able to work with them. And like you said, we'll be announcing um, probably on that show uh, some of the web projects that we're working on with some of the, you know, the, the key influential people in this industry. Good deal. Well, we're excited about next week, and we certainly appreciate, again, Captain John Mauser calling in tonight. Uh, as I was saying, winter is is almost over. I, I hesitate to say that because we'll get one more blast of cold air, but it's uh, definitely a lot of people looking forward to spring, and uh, as we get into spring, there will be a, a lot of things going on here with us at Point Click Fish. Well, I tell you, we're definitely excited. Like I said, next week we're looking, hopefully, to confirm with Captain Mitchell Blake, get him on the air here next week. But uh, definitely check out pointclickfish.com. And Price, Wayne, you guys have anything else before we get off the air? I think I'm, I'm good to go. We've had a good show and uh, got a lot to plan for for the, for the next couple of weeks. I, again, appreciate the opportunity, and uh, I hope you guys have a great night. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think Price – oh, I thought you fell asleep, Price. Sorry. Oh, yeah, it's it's all that running that I did with those kids tonight with the soccer. <laughs> My body feels like it's ready to go to sleep. Uh, but I was going to say, uh, as I always say, you know, uh, check out our pointclickfish.com. Go to the radio section, and you can uh, listen to all the shows, the previous shows. Uh, we've done some pretty good shows the past couple of weeks. We've had a lot of captains on and a lot of, uh, you know, people in the fishing industry. So go back, check some of those podcasts out and listen to the shows. So there's some great information and uh, we've kind of run the gamut of, you know, just different types of uh, fishing, different types of um, areas of the uh, United States. And so, I mean, there's some great information and some great captains and a lot of uh, shared knowledge in there. So definitely check it out when you have a chance. Well, Wayne Price, thank you guys for joining us on the show this evening. And, and also, Captain John Mauser, Tail and Tide Guide Service out of Swansboro, North Carolina. Thanks again, buddy. It's always great to have him on the show, uh, to be able to get him back on the air to let us know what he's doing. And we look forward to bringing you fishing entertainment uh, here on pointclickfish.com, Saltwater Radio Show. Wayne Price, I guess until next week, we're going to uh, hopefully be able to get this uh, this truck project wrapped up, guys. 
Sounds good. Good deal. Have a good night. All right, guys. Thank you once again for joining us on the PointClickFish.com Saltwater Fishing Radio Show. We hope you enjoyed today's show. For more information, show notes, updates, or to join the saltwater fishing community, visit pointclickfish.com. Don't forget to catch live streams and future shows at saltwaterfishingradio.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. Stay safe on the water and tight lines.